Do we know what we're talking about? <laughs> Season three. Hi, I'm John Stevens. This is Matt Russell. This and this <laughs> is Pod Have Mercy. Um, well, we're here today, um, again, joined for the second time uh, with, with Todd Bolsinger. And Todd, you and I, um, I met you when I was teaching at Fuller mm-hmm. Seminary. I was actually on uh, your team and one of the things that I was leading at the seminary and teaching. And I've come to know you um, both as a, a really amazing mind um, and a, a depth of heart. And you have, you've been a part of mentoring me, whether you've known it or not through, uh, through the season that we're in, we both share a, a love for a guy named Ray Anderson who has <laughs> mentored us both. And yeah. uh, you teach, you're a professor, you were a pastor for 105 years, I think. Exactly. And, and you're now returning to the church as, and consulting the church yeah. in this moment that we're in. And so yeah. it's just an honor to have you here. And um, thank you for being at our church this week. And then also just what you're doing in the church writ large. Thanks, Matt. It's always good to have conversations with you. I, I'd fly in just to talk with you. Nah, I love it too. Yeah, because the world has changed and is yeah. changing, right? And so right. In, in Canoeing the Mountains, it, it is that paradigm to say that what's coming, what's, we have no idea what's coming. Yeah. And all we have is the tools that got us to this place. Right. And they are insufficient. Yeah. Yeah. The big, the big, um, takeaway from Canoe in the Mountains is the world in front of you is nothing like the world behind you, right? So just imagine the geography of, of a mindset of someone from the East who is comes into the American West. And I just, the other day, I just gave this illustration in Virginia, looking out <laughs> at the Shenandoah Mountains and wow. saying to people, okay, this is what everybody thought a mountain was. Yeah. If you've never seen a Rocky, Rocky mountain, mountain in your life, then you don't even have a mental model for mountains. So when they said to you, oh, you're gonna have to cross mountains, they thought mountain schmountains were from Virginia. We got it. 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 They had no idea. Mm. And they had no idea that these men of the enlightenment, I mean, Meriwether Lewis was tutored by Thomas Jefferson. Okay. Walks over the Lemhi Pass. He's completely lost. Hmm. So he's gotta now listen to a teenage Native American nursing mother. Who he, up until then he'd never written down a single word she said. So all of the knowledge that you've accumulated to this point that puts you in a place of prominence is absolutely at some level worthless. Yeah, the only thing that's good about it is if you learned the capacity to learn. Learn right. So right. what was great about Lewis was mm-hmm. he was um, they were he were they were curious. They were eager to learn. They were they were learners. And the other part about it is they had a deeper value, right? So the core of discovery is all economic. It's all the, it's all the continuation of the European conquest. It's really what it yeah. is. But they had a deeper value. Now, it, it wasn't my value, and we could argue about the values. It was an enlightenment value. And the enlightenment value was the belief that the growth of human knowledge will lead to the growth of human happiness. Right. So what he basically <laughs> believed is with every step, if they learned something new, the world would be a better place. So even though they knew there wasn't a water route, that's what they were supposed to find, a water route. Water route. And so you ask them, why didn't they go back? If the entire economy of this new United States was built on having a water route, they should have gone back and told the boss that was a bad plan. Yeah, right. Because they knew that the deeper value was not the water route, it was the discovery mm. of knowledge of what's mm. around the corner. Mm. And so that deeper value actually drove them. And I think that for those of us as Christians, when the, the moment is we start realizing a lot of what we've done has been about protecting our churches, our denominations, our tribes, our, yes. you know, and what we realize is, is there actually a deeper value right. 
that is not about protecting our institutions, but is really about, you know, those who want to find their yeah. life will lose it. Right. The the impulse though for self preservation. Oh, okay. the the impulse then to to um, construct a faith that really is about security and assurances mm-hmm. leads us to a place that we realize that the um, and I've been I've been thinking about this that often the way we have been formed or or misinformed in some ways yeah. is not adequate to the days ahead. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. And so the churches. Um, the church writ large that will follow Jesus into this new season yeah. is going to be very different than the church that I grew up in yeah. where it was just left to right and up, yeah. right? Where we could muscle our way through because we had enough people coming, enough people giving money. We had more money than we needed in some ways. Mm-hmm. We had a surplus. Those things were just like that. We can see that to be the blessing of God, not yeah. just an era that the church is in. Right. And right. so now that we're in a different era, Right, exactly. And we're declining, and there's, you know, all these kinds of things. It's easy then to constrict that and say, God's not blessing us. Rather than, what are the capacities that we have to develop to be faithful? Yeah. It's it's one of the parts, even in our faith, when you think about like the exile in the Hebrew scriptures, are this moment of really painful. I mean, mm. horribly painful you know, judgment. The people right. said, "Look, we 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 brought this on ourselves," is what they're saying. And and then you have this passage in Jeremiah twenty nine that you know th- Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. It's quoted in college <laughs> college all the time. For I know the plans I have yeah. for you. Says high the school Lord. graduation. Like, so right, high, right. <laughs> plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. Yeah. The rest of the text is basically this. And so I will come back and rescue you in seventy years. Yeah. You're going to die. Your children are going to die. So because I give you hope, it's not the end. Your grandkids might see salvation, might Mm. see freedom. So in the meantime, you plant gardens, build houses, invest in this place, give yourself to the city, bless this place. You have a purpose here. It's not what you thought it was going to be. It's not hopeless but it's not what you thought it was going to be. Mm. So be faithful mm. to a promise that is much bigger than your own life mm. in this own season. Mm. I find that often that that is difficult because we're attached mm. to certain ideas that um, give us a deep sense of our own existential personal security. Mm-hmm. And we're in a world right now where this word disrupted everything feels disrupted it feels oh. like it's a return almost to the waters of chaos oh man yeah you know um and to to know that our baptism is in those baptismal right, waters right, of chaos right right is is both symbolic but it's some some ways i think we're we're with people that are deeply afraid yeah i think our leaders are afraid yeah we as you have said and as we know we haven't been formed for this time yeah We've been formed for triumph, yeah. you know, not for, wait a minute, we've got to break, we, we don't need these canoes, what do we do? Yeah, right, exactly. Right? We, yeah, we've been formed for assuming that everything will be a continual progression Yeah. instead of there are different rhythms and seasons. And, and so even today, you know, it's, it's wrong to say that the church is in decline because the church is actually doing well in a lot of places. Yeah. Just not the West we inhabit, right? Right. right. So, so even I would say this, that the right. most robust right. parts of the church today are in the global South, the African-American church, the Latino church, the yeah. immigrant church. Like yeah. the most controversial thing I ever say is I will show up in places and I'll say, there's all kinds of studies that say that the religiosity of America to the degree that it is still more resilient, it is stronger, say, than Europe. 
is built on a lot of factors, but the number one factor is immigration. Hmm. God brings Christians to this country. Yeah. So imagine being in churches where a whole bunch of folks are torn over, Mm. what do we do about immigration? Yeah, yeah. Like sometimes we're keeping out the very people that God might be sending with the Holy Spirit to renew our nation. That's just hard for us to think about sometimes. So so the decline of the church is really our idea of what decline and uh, progression is. Yeah. Decline... And, and that capitalistic or the way I've been formed is really about numbers, yeah. uh, you know, across yeah. the board. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you just start thinking about what is fruitful, yeah. right? What is fruit? What is fruitful? Uh. What is, and, and I, I'm in, I'm working now on a new book that is really about how do you create the culture of discipleship that can also ad- adapt and go through change? Yes. Because most of our discipleship wasn't, was kind of built almost industrial. Yes. And so I'm, I'm, studying um regenerative soils that's my, okay. my new book <laughs> as you do exactly my, <laughs> my new book is about regenerative soils uh, it's about how you do agriculture in such a way that it keeps putting back into the soil so that it becomes more resilient more yeah. fruitful like um how you go from thinking about uh the soil that that needs uh, like a mono crop culture that needs uh chemicals to be able to produce food and how do you actually create rich, healthy, fertile environments that continue to produce fruit. And you think about the scriptures are filled with this, like fruitfulness in the land, vineyards overflowing. It's really about healthy systems that produce a kind of fruit. And I think in some ways we're coming to grips with, we have depleted the culture, the soil of our churches instead of created environments where our churches are rich, reproductive places that bear fruit. That's right. That's right. Yeah. There's a, I've got a friend who suggests that often we have put so much fertilization into the soil of our churches through, you know, whatever that, that looks like, that we, we've produced fruit that is tasteless. Yeah. And it's, it might be big and colorful, and but you bite into it and there's no nutrients in it. It's not the it. same thing, right? It's right. very different. Yeah, it's really different. And if you think about the difference between that and, say, like vineyards in places like France that are the vines are 100 years old. Yeah, right, And right. they've dug deep into the soil yeah. and they can handle, like, the lack of water because the soil is so nutri- mm. nutrient rich. And they produce really rich fruit. I'm going to say that, you know, the church uh-huh. should be... The place that produces the fruit that makes the wine that makes the world glad. Yes, and and people don't think of us as that way. They think of us as like grape juice or Kool Aid, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, and yeah, like, yeah. Or and, orange and, juice has gone yeah, bad. Yeah, or yeah, kind exactly. Of yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's it's it, and this is the part where to me the scripture passage about the you know the it's called the parable of the sower. It's mm. the parable of the soils. Right. Right. The same seed goes into different soils, <laughs> and if it goes into rich soil, it produces. A hundredfold. Yeah. You know, that's the, that's what we're trying to figure out is how do you create that world, that context? How do our churches become those kind of places? Hmm. Pause for a second, get some coffee here. Oh my gosh, how great you are. How nice you are, Bobby. Bobby, you are. You just, every, I just show up here and you make me wonderful coffee. He does. Like, okay. So this is, uh, this is a Todd special. <laughs> So Ty can explain um, the my not my uh, lot no that, foam latte yeah. oh. my no foam latte yeah, look at this yeah, yeah, he, yeah. I've been here one day and he knows my right, coffee, right? oh my gosh Bobby sugar no I'm I'm good no. with this 
Good. Thank you so much. Mm. Yeah, he can tell you the origin about it and. Oh my gosh. Uh, everything. So add that to the venue. Exactly. No, seriously. Oh yeah. Really. The bowl. Yeah. The bowl. I'd like a bowl singer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's a, actually uh, three shots of espresso. Oh dear lord. Forty. Um, uh, Forty seconds of um, uh, milk. So yeah, three I got shots. it down. Look at you. The bowl singer is pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> that is funny. One of the, one of the things that um, I'm reading a couple different books one, right now. One is by Kath, uh, Kathleen Singh called Unbinding. She wrote uh -huh. A Grace in Dying, How oh, Things Die. Wow. And, and, and I think um, I read that in pre preparation for some pastoral stuff, but yeah. also from leadership stuff. Yeah. Another is... Um, psychologies of liberation oh wow um where um and both of those have been helpful in that one um unbinding is um helping me understand the attachment that my mind has on various ideas that then produce a constriction uh, right and so, so un you're bound i'm yeah. bound you're bound, I'm bound up by these I ideas by these ideas oh that's so good and that that grace is the process of unbinding. Oh my gosh, that's really good. Really That's good. really good, yeah. And so um, in, in the place we are in the church, there is an unbinding yeah. that is absolutely necessary to the, um, uh, the moment we're in. Yeah. yeah. And at the same time, there is a constriction of my own individual, our own individual selves that say, I don't want this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. No. Let this cup pass from, from me. me. Right. Exactly. <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. Gosh, gosh, gosh. Right. Yeah. And that's the moment yeah. we're in. Yeah. And it feels like much like um, like the um, the the second half of life movement yeah. that um, um, I had a mentor one time say to me that you're going to have to let what you know, don't know, lead you. Yeah. And I'm like, how do I do that? Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so it's oh, all these new yeah, capacities. Yeah, yeah. Well, just think about this, that mm. I often say when we're talking with leaders, um, we were, we were formed to think that leadership was built on being an expert. Right. So, you know, so right, we, we right. met working at a seminary, right? Everybody who comes to seminary that knows, yeah, exactly. okay, let's follow right, that person. Right, he knows. Right. <laughs> and, and everybody who comes to seminary, somebody looked at him and said, you're the best Christian I know. You should go pro. Yeah. You know, you should go off to professional Dude. Christian school. Right. And go right, pro. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And, and, and so what do we do? We take them in, we have them write papers and read books, and then we give them a master of divinity. They sound like a superhero. Yeah. Yeah. It comes to the cape. Right. And they come, they go back into their congregations and very often they are an expert in some things like interpreting the scriptures, oftentimes polity, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah. church yeah. history yeah. Yeah. and people say, oh, then you, then to be a leader means you have to have all the answers. Hmm. And the hardest part is at this moment is you actually have to lead people by starting by saying, I actually don't know. Yeah. What I, what I learned in all that was how to be a learner, was how to be humble, open, mm. teachable, mm. corrected. Yes. You know, that's a different, that's a skill set we learned. We didn't think we'd have to, to rely on that skill set. Right. We thought what we'd get to rely on is our expertise. And right. that's the big, that's one of the big changes. That's so interesting. It, it, it seems that the moment that we're in also, as I um, am around you and read um, your work, is that a, a moment where integration, the integration of the self, mm -hmm. um, the, the, my ability to look at our ability to look at our own shadows, yeah. our own 
anxiety management systems oh, that are defense mechanisms in our lives yeah. are really important and being open to new learning curious. Yeah. Oh yeah. But yeah. Um, I think in the era gone by, mm-hmm. there was enough that there was enough muscle that I, um, some leaders did not have to be integrated. Yeah. They could just be very forceful. Yep. They could be very, yep. um, they could be very, um, uh, confident. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, um, and we, we've, uh, we selected for that leader. <laughs> we, we kept selecting for the one that produced confidence. Who There's a whole interesting study about the fact that men are trained to project more confidence than their competence. Amen. Come and, on. And women are often trained to be told, don't yeah. express don't. confidence beyond your competence. You'll get caught out and people yeah. will make fun of you. Yeah. So what happens is you go into it. So this happens in many companies. You go into interviews. The less competent male will get the job. Because they're very confident. Because they're very confident. Yeah. And we don't realize that you missed then. You had actually a more competent leader. Yes. Because she was So then, then our answer is, well, we got to teach them to be more confident. No, actually no, no, what we no, got to do no. is we got to teach, <laughs> teach people to be honest yeah, yeah, and yeah. trust the competence. Yeah. That, and the biggest competence is your competence to keep learning beyond yes. your competence. Which is humility. humility. Exactly. Yeah. Right? It's the single trait of change leaders. Mm. It's, it shows up in the scriptures. M- Moses is the most humble man on the earth, yeah. right? It shows up in the scriptures. And humility is not about self-effacement. It's about teachability. Yes. It's open to correction. Yeah. It's open to change. It's open to the voice that you wouldn't hear otherwise. The, the place that I've most learned humility has not been in the church, but has been in recovery communities oh, yeah. where you, where the process of being broken, you're broken open. Yeah. Right. And I, um, I have watched folks in that place break open into such a deep humility that I think that's what it means to be human. Yeah. Right. Right. And that's humility and human. Yeah. Right. Right. I think about humility, human, humus. Yes. It's being of the dirt. Of the dirt. Adam. It's being of the dirt. It's being Mm. down to earth. Yeah. Right. Right. It's beautiful. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so whatever training we're doing as a church we need to that has to be incorporated yeah, yeah so it, yeah right so it can't just be adaptive capacities right, so we all right. get on this new thing called adaptive yeah, capacities yeah, okay yeah, yeah. and i've got now a you know i've read every book yeah. on adaptive capacities but my three o'clock self wakes me up yeah and i don't know what to yeah. do that will always be at odds and that will always win at the end of the day well and here's the thing what are adaptive capacities it's the capacity to learn <laughs> to face loss to navigate competing values. Mm. And a competing value means you can't solve it with a win-win. Yes. You're, and you, you're gonna have to, something's gonna lose. Yes. Right? You're gonna have to drop a canoe to keep going over a mountain. You're gonna have to let go of something to keep going. So, so when we talk about, the problem with, as you talked about adaptive capacities, is people think of that as something to master. To master, not so to I would experience. Say, so, like, so, yeah. so here's the here's the great irony in my life. You know, I, I talk about the difference right. between technical solutions and adaptive challenges. And technical solutions are solutions experts can do. And that's good. There's nothing wrong. If you have a heart bypass, yep. you want an expert. You need a programmer. Right? I don't right. want an adaptive pilot when I fly to Denver <laughs> tomorrow, right? I, I want a technical expert. The great irony in my life is that I come to teach on adaptive capacity and people want me to be the technical expert. Right. Oh, we brought in the guy who wrote the book. This is so great. We've all read the book. You read the book. I read the book. It's great. Okay, so tomorrow we're going to pick up a new book. Yeah. You know, it's interesting to me, Todd, that like we've been formed by, um, we have a, a mutual um, mentor, Ray Anderson, <laughs> <laughs> who 
and, and both of our lives is probably the yeah. largest formative yeah. voice in, yeah. in my entire life and will be. Yeah. Yeah, you know, um, one of the things that he taught me about um, and, and led me to was was the whole work of Kierkegaard. Yeah, and that 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 place where faith takes you to the line, um, um, and then it becomes faith. Life yeah. takes you to the line. It uh-huh. becomes faith, faith when you take the step. The leap of right. faith is right. what he. And it feels as if the church has been led to the line, and the Holy Spirit is saying, "Now step," yeah. and the the constriction back is to say um i just need more capacities right i need to learn uh-huh. uh, maybe there's a way out of this maybe actually at the end of the day i don't have to take the step that brings me terror right right and the spirit right. of god continues to say yeah. take a step yeah <laughs> yeah yeah it's learning as mastery as opposed to learning as humility Aye. right so to be curious, to be a learner, to have, uh, you know, it's often called the beginner's mind. To start with what really matters here is I don't know and I'm going to be led by what I don't know. Yes. And, and I think about this because, you know, Ray was my doctoral mentor, mm. but you are his TA. Yeah. So I keep wondering, like, what would be better? Like, to, like, 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 it was probably better to learn from him how you were supposed to teach others mm. than what I was to do was to learn from him and let him teach me. Like, there's this interesting piece, right? Yeah. Because, like, do you learn better by actually being in a place where you are actually learning from a good teacher how to help others? Yeah. You know, more than having a person make sure that he approved and graded my stuff, right? And so, yeah. so, so it's, a, it's really interesting because he was such an empower. I mean. He was a professor who was also a pastor of a congregation yes. the whole time. Yes. He couldn't do theology without having the names and faces of people that he was speaking to every day right in his face. Absolutely. And so it made him a really different theology yeah. professor. Yeah. yeah. And which which has also set the precedent or the, the, the structure inside of us that says that ministry precedes that. Exactly. That what we do is we do, and then theology, philosophy, all that, the systems are what the reflection is yeah. upon the act of faith. Yeah. Take your son, your one and only son, take him to the mountain. I think that's the trajectory that we're on right now in the church. And part of what we have learned so well is to say, well, let's talk about that. What does it mean to have a son? Is there anything I can do to keep me from going on this journey of actually losing? Yeah. Oh yeah, it's it's this notion that being disrupted, like so the, the text I've been thinking a lot about lately is in Galatians where it says, circumcision doesn't count uncircumcision doesn't count the only thing that counts you get that's a really interesting (laughs) the only thing that counts right Mm -hmm. the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love oh as soon as i say that verse there is a part of me that goes well that's really important but there's another there's got to be other things that count too no paul puts the only thing that counts okay so what do i do theologically to think about if the only thing that matters is that my faith expresses itself in love yes if that's like the whole test, the whole test is, did faith express itself in love? Then what does that do to the rest of my construction of my faith? Yes. It has to serve that. Yes. And when it says circumcision and uncircumcision, we're really talking about, you know, tribes and people and yeah. heritage and, you know, privilege and all that stuff that yeah. comes. Yeah. Like, are you part Markers. of the in-group or the out-group? <laughs> yes. Things that mark you off. Yeah. As... What really yeah. matters is whether you're in-group or out-group, whether you start wherever you started from. Are you become a person who is formed to trust God and express that in love of neighbor? Yes. Yes. And, yes. and then the the scary part of that is literally the abyss for me is: what if I'm actually doing something wrong? 
Mm. Like, because there's a part of me that still wants to get it right. I want to get it right. I want to, I want to, I want to, if I can so perfectly parse that where I don't make a mistake. Right. Instead of lean into, it's going to require me to love and, and that love could get messy and I could, I could do it wrong. I could just get it wrong. And, and love bears the capacity. Well, I, and I remember Ray saying this, <laughs> you know, that love, faith presupposes yeah. our own barrenness, yeah. our inabilities, all of that, and continues to bid us to come. Yeah. One of the places I wonder if we're in as well as a church is that we have been formed so deeply within kind of the single rational mind, oh, man. The, the hyper individual. It's me yeah. against the world. Yes. I'm, as a pastor, I was called into ministry and it came with a soundtrack and it really was about me yeah. with a little help from Jesus. Hold my beer, Holy Spirit, watch this, <laughs> exactly. right? Right, and now that's a book is, title there. Yeah. Hold my beer, <laughs> hold my beer, hold my beer holy I spirit. think it's a song actually. <laughs> um, and, but but I'm I'm seeing also this other book I'm reading around um, um, psychologies of, of liberation is that um, there's there's groups that are being formed, um, communities that are being formed all over that are the algorithms of that formation are different. The hierarchy yeah. of leadership is all different, and what they're attending to is the trauma that people have held within their very body. Yeah, and so communities are coming along and are being um, um, alternative places where people are entering into to deal with the utter pain of their lives. Oh man! Right? I think the church has held out that as a possibility, but we've created so many programs. Yeah, we have not really been um, reduced to saying we are here to be an alternative community that absorbs right. the pain of the world in hope. Yeah. What do we do about that? That yeah. like strip down. Yeah. I need someone to absorb my own trauma mm -hmm. and I need to be a part of a community that's absorbing trauma in hope. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah. And so then how do you form people to do that task? Yes. Like to bear the world's pain, yes. to witness to hope in the midst of the world's pain, mm -hmm. to, um, to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. Yeah. Um, I, I did a seminar for a group yesterday and I talked about the spiritual practice of lament. Like, so in tempered resilience, I put some spiritual practices that create resilience. And one of them is actually lament because lament is where you take seriously the brutality of the world. Yes. It's like where you look at the world unvarnished and you refuse to give up hope. Not because you're Pollyanna, but because you actually believe that there's a God who can use this. Right. But but it's never sugarcoating the brutality of the world. No, right. Right. And I also would want to suggest that the primacy in that is the community, not the individual. Exactly. Because right. as, that's what teaches you. That's, yeah. you. that's where you sing. Those songs are sung together. That's They're right. corporate songs. They're and, corporate prayers. And Heschel says, Abraham, Joshua Heschel yeah. says that, that in that community, um, yeah. I can lose faith. Yeah. Oh. And I will lose faith. Oh, yeah. And somebody next to me has faith. Yeah. And they sing my faith back into uh -huh. me. Uh -huh. Right? And I'll be in a place where I have faith one day and you've lost it and I'm singing it back into you. But you're not going anywhere, yeah. right? And I think that's the, that's the, at least for me, what I'm hungering for in the future yeah. Yeah. is how do we strip it down and become more human together? Yep. I was raised in a liturgical tradition, mm. and I have this love for liturgy, even mm. though I, I don't tend to worship or lead litur highly liturgical traditions. Mm. But what liturgy is about is does the work of prayer, right? I think of liturgy as like... Uh, the p palette bearers, you know, in the in the gospels, who carry 
um, the sick man to Jesus, who mm-hmm. literally carry their friend. And that part of what liturgy does is it reminds me that there's prayers that I don't even have to be creative to pray. Oh. I can just sit in them. I can, there. I can listen to them prayed over me. Yes. I can. I mean, I think one of the one of the most interesting experiences is not only singing with your whole heart to God, but allowing a community to sing over, over you, you. Right. The notion yes. that I am carried by something much bigger than me. Yes. And that my my formation depends on it. So if I, so if I'm in a community that doesn't know how to carry pain or carry me mm. in my pain, mm. then I won't learn how to do it either. Mm. Right. Yeah. One of the other books that has been really formative for me over the last couple of years is Adrian Marie Brown's book. Um, and um, um, she talks about this real deep need to really change the paradigm of leadership oh. because we've had this idea that there is a leader that leads. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and it seems that um, part of possibly the summonsing is that there is um, leadership is the product of the body of Christ that is working in attunement. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Right. And what we've done is we have, I wonder um, if we have fetishized a type of leader as the single individual yeah. and we have relied on that person to get us out rather than in saying leadership is a product of the body of Christ working together. Yeah. And we're going to need the gift of leadership. Um, but it is not over and against any of the yeah, other yeah. gifts as we work into attunement. Yeah. It's so so here's the interesting thing. My I have students, you know, my doctor of ministry students all work on study and experiment toward and work on particular leadership challenges. Mm-hmm. What's been fascinating for me is women are some of my best students. And the reason why this is fascinating is because they tend to be, they don't tend to sign up in droves for leadership classes. They just assume it's gonna all be, you know, Dudes. young guys, right? And at first it was. the the So every one of the women who've been in my course who are working on real adaptive changes in organizations are all trying to get at the heart of assumptions about leadership. Yes. Deep, and one of them is this notion of a, a lead pastor, a yeah. solo pastor. Like, what's interesting bankrupt. is it's not even in the scriptures. It's bankrupt. Like, it's it's not. So, so we have people say stuff like, "Oh, you have to have you know one person in charge, the chain of command." Well, here's the irony: even the military is asking questions about chain yes. of command. Yes, there, Stanley McChrystal wrote an entire book about teams of teams yes. working together. Yeah. So. It's only in the church that we're finding people who are insisting. I mean, businesses have gone to corporate shared leadership models. Yes. It's in the church that we're holding on to this model, thinking that it's somehow biblical. When you can go back to Moses and Aaron, right? <laughs> right? Like, right. right? Right. You can go to you know Paul and Silas, uh, Priscilla and Aquila. Like you just, it's it's this shared experience. I mean, one of my favorite parts about the Lewis and Clark story mm-hmm. is that they are Lewis and Clark. They're known as Lewis and Clark. They defied the United States Congress to be a partnership. Mm. Congress said, no, Lewis is in charge. Clark is number two. And Lewis said, no. I ain't doing it. Yeah, right. we're, we're telling the men we're co-captains. And right. then they needed to add Sacagawea to them yeah. to be able to actually continue the journey. There's mm. just something profound about that that we can rethink. Yeah. I think that that seems to be like the biblical notion then, because then we place in the center of that, um, not an individual effort, but um, a relational dynamic that makes us all human. Right. And I think one of the things we're missing in the moment we're in is more humanness. Yeah. We're shouting over each other. We're drawing lines in the sand. but. 
All that is a way of just further isolating and dying. Uh. And there's a deep desire for us to find each other in a wooded forest and, and, and take the hand of someone else. Hmm. And in that hand, we're humanized and maybe there's hope to move forward. Leadership in the church has to change. Yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. I really think that this idea of the single leader yeah. is killing us. Yeah, it really is. There has to be a way of leading in relationship. It's going to go slower. Yeah. It's going to be more messy. And you know what? Our, we're hungry for it. Yeah, we are. It's um, the, the, I think about this in terms of my marriage, you know, um, <laughs> I, I, my wife and I are in every way, you know, co-parenting, co or yes. I, when I look at those passages in Ephesians, I see mutual submission really clear. Yes. And I can remember people saying, you know, who challenged that there needed to be some kind of male headship who challenged me. And I, I understand there are people who believe that they would always say stuff like, you know, who's going to make the final decision. I've been married 34 years. You know, it's amazing. We have figured out how to make every decision together, absolutely right like it's just and pretty soon you start realizing we are bound by a construct that isn't really even biblical when you look at it right we are bound by these contracts like ephesians is oh. not saying replicate the roman army it's saying <laughs> there's a new community got it right yeah. That's right. There's a new community and yeah. it's different. And so husband who has every power, privilege, and possibility in Rome, you're going to function differently That's in the right. church. And we read it as if it's telling us how to be a better Roman. Right. And so we do the same thing over and over and over again where we're bound by these concepts. We bind them to our faith rather than let the faith, like literally let Jesus's words unbind them unbind and let us. them go, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And I wonder if that's that, even that text, unbind him. Yeah, <laughs> that, yeah. that whatever resurrection comes out of this moment yeah. will be because we have been unbound. Yeah. And we may stink. Yeah. Um, and, and we may be partly decayed. Mm -hmm. And when the stone gets rolled away and we hear unbind, we have to become unbound. Yeah. So I think that there are ways of moving forward that... Um, are both provide me with a lot of hope and all of mm -hmm. those things, but also it's a scary process. Yeah, it's a really scary process. It's creating within the church the capacity to um, even rethink assumptions about our leadership going forward based upon our successes of the past. Yeah. It's really learning to drop the things and lean into yeah. the humility and learning yeah. and loss. Yeah. yeah. What if um, what if all of the anxiety mm -hmm. and all of the depression and all of the fear that we're experiencing as humans right now isn't about individual responses, mm. but it really is about um, um, a system that's creating mm -hmm. these things. Mm. What, what if all of this stuff mm. in these moments we're in is really the canary in the coal mm -hmm. mine that's saying, y'all, something's wrong. Yeah, yeah, oh man. Then the issue is how do you see beyond uh, there's a really interesting question that is often put before you, which is, why do we try to solve things we can't even see? Mm. Like a lot of us are just assumed we have to solve it. Um, I was thinking about this when I was learning about um, about just paying attention to whiteness and race. Right. That that like a lot of white people say, I don't see race. Well, then why are you trying to solve things if you can't see it? Because the rest of the world sees. What it's like. It's like, one of my friends said, it's like someone driving a Hummer saying, you know, I don't see bicycles or cars. I just, I just see vehicles. 
you know, you don't want to be a bicyclist next to a Hummer who doesn't no, see no, you. No, You will get run over. Yeah, you don't want to be near a school zone. Right, right, <laughs> right. So, so I think a lot of it is learning to have eyes that see, learning to be mm. humble enough to say, I'm not sure if I see everything yet, so I need more perspectives. I need more people to loan me their eyes. I need more people to point out things. My, my wife's an artist. And so going through a museum with her is always interesting. She'll always stop me and go, you missed this. Mm. Look at this. Look what the artist did here. And I'm like, oh, like having a docent who can see things. Yes. I go, pretty picture, but bet it's worth a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Blue. She, yeah, she, she says, no, you're missing this, right? Mm. What if our community was really to be a place where we actually helped each other see and then together we ask the question, so what then shall we do? Yes. Right? The see first. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Todd, um, you are a gift thanks, to man. this place, to my life, to our church, mm. to the church writ large. Thanks, and so man. thanks for being here. Oh, my God. Glad. Anytime. I love this conversation really with you. I appreciate you. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm Matt Russell. I'm Todd Bolsinger. And this is Pod Have Mercy.